Welcome to Let's Talk Death, conversations to inform and inspire. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a nonprofit providing the tools and resources to support one's journey with grief. We seek to empower individuals to achieve a healthy post-bereavement growth. Everything we do is inspired by our core belief that no one should ever grieve alone. Let's Talk Death is a series of conversations with some amazing people from various fields. Our goal through these conversations is to normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief. Hello, welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Death. I'm Fran Solomon. And I'm Andy McNeil. And we are thrilled to be your host for these conversations. Our guest today is Judge Karen Johnson. Karen Johnson is a Georgetown Law Center graduate, a former Fulbright scholar in Afghanistan, and holds master's degrees in public health and public and international affairs. Karen is a retired federal administrative law judge who has practiced criminal and energy law for more than 30 years. She also is a former U.S. Army officer, major in the United States Army Reserves. But today, Karen comes to us as a grieving parent of a son, forever 27 years old. Karen has trained extensively in the techniques of illumination, soul retrieval, extractions of energies and entities, divination, and death rites. Personally trained by Alberto Velvaldo, Karen is faculty at the Four Winds Society and a master practitioner of energy medicine and the author of Living Grieving, using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. Karen, we are delighted to have you as a guest on our show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So, Karen, before we speak about your book, may I ask you to share about your son, your grief, and how his death led you onto this new journey? It was one of those things, they say that when you have an unexpected death and the, or the death of a child, those are very difficult. When you have the unexpected death of a child, I can tell you that puts you in a really deep, dark place. Uh, my son was 27 years old, and, and he, like many young men in our cultures, was struggling, struggling with finding his way, struggling with what's he going to do with his life, started a business, didn't quite work out, trying to decide whether he's going to go back to college, what he's going to do. And... I knew that he was struggling, but I didn't know um, anything about drugs. And so I was on vacation in uh, South Korea and I got a call and I just had that feeling that day. I just felt like things were off. I didn't feel well. I got this call, somebody hung up and I, I was like called right back. I thought, this is weird. And then it was a detective and detective said, uh, where are you, Mrs. Johnson? And I said, I'm in South Korea. Why? Well, it's about your son. And I'm like, what? Has he had an accident? What happened? No, he's, he's dead. Well, from what? A heroin overdose. Well, right. So it, it was all these, it, it was just so surreal. And uh, night is day there, day is night. The time difference takes 14 hours to get home on a plane. So I get home for 24 hours. But the next morning I was sitting in the airport because I found out it was nighttime. There wasn't any flights out until the morning. And Ben appeared in front of me, just like himself, smiling. And then he just kind of faded away. And I called my ex-husband frantically and said, you got to 
you got to call the ME. You got to call her right now because I think he's alive. I think he's came to me. He's alive in there and he's trying to get out of the freezer. You have to go get him. Ah, and of course she looked and said, I'm sorry. You know, he's not trying to get out. He's gone. And, and that was sort of a pivotal moment for me because I then felt him around me. Not only did I see him in the airport, but I felt him around me. And it was my first sort of belief or that intro into life after death, that there really is something more than just here. If I wasn't particularly spiritual religious before this happened, and I would have said, alive is alive, dead is dead, that's it. And so for me, this is a big entryway into, oh, there's so much more than that. And there is life after death. And they are around us and they are watching out for us. And so um, it was that journey of discovery for me, uh, finding a spiritual practice, finding a medium. So here I am as a very left brain judge in Washington, D.C., all of a sudden looking up mediums in the, on Google, right? And so a page popped up and I had no idea that there were all these spiritual people around me and full page of um, mediums. And I picked one, one's picture appeared slightly larger than the other. And I chose that one. And I went in and I said, he's right here. He's right behind me. He's standing right there. He's making that candle flicker so you can see him, but I can't hear what he's saying. Can you tell me what he's saying? And she was wonderful. We had this wonderful conversation. It was about three weeks after he passed and she didn't even like to do it that soon, but I persuaded her because I said, well, he's right here. He's right here. I just need help telling me what he's saying. I think she was kind of curious. And um, that started my journey into all things spiritual, mediumship, the Kabbalah, crystals, everything that I could find. Um, really, my goal at that point was just to be able to talk more to Ben, to be able to hear him and not just sense him. And uh, yeah, it soon morphed into a lot more. Well, thank thank you for for sharing some of the just the backstory. And one of the things that Fran and I hear often talking with our guests is just how a loss opens you to a whole new world that you never were not not only aware of, but just not it wasn't part of your, you know, part of your daily life, how loss actually opens doors, changes us in a lot of ways. And maybe even not just changing us, but changing our focus and the direction that we find ourselves taking. I know a term we use a lot is post-traumatic growth, but I think it's (laughs) right. I mean, it's that idea that I'm not, I'm, I'm still the person I was, but I'm different now in a lot of ways. And my priorities are different. And what I, am seeking is different in a lot of ways. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes death is the doorway. Yeah, Death or great loss can be the doorway into big changes. And that's sort of the focus of my book is to help people to see that death, this death, that's why I called it living grieving, because I don't think we get over grief. We live our grief and we become wiser because of it. And if we can tap into that. So we know that other states of being like marriage and parenthood are transformational. They have transformational energy we can tap into. It's life-changing. Our culture kind of shies away from grief. So it, but it too has transformational energy that we can tap into. Um, We often see grief as uh, focused on sadness and despair and hopelessness. So we want to avoid it. We want people to get over it, move on. It's time to all those things that we tell people. But I like people to know that they're on a journey. 
They're on the journey of the bereaved. It's their own journey and it takes place in their own space and time. But if you also see it as a journey, journeys have beginnings and they have endings and new endings from, from terrible beginnings. And so I like to have people go on this journey so that they can make a new, create a new life out of the ashes of the old one, not to leave their loved one behind, not to get over it or anything like that, but really to honor them. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We often talk a lot about how grief is this thing we never asked for. We did right. not, we never wanted no. this to happen, but it was thrust upon us. Now the question is, how do we actively move forward with it? It becomes yes. our lifelong companion. Yes. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to like tap us on the shoulder during different moments um, in the beginning, a lot more than maybe later on in life. But the question is, how do we take this companion that we now have sitting on our shoulder yeah. and take it with us in a very healthy way? And just because our person has died doesn't mean our relationship with them stopped. Right. Exactly. That's the beautiful part of it. And I think that was such an eye-opening and awakening experience for me that, that he is right there. He, he's there when I call. He's there. I can feel him. I can sense him. I know that he had his hand in my, all my spiritual development. And I ended up leaving my judge job, my left brain job. <laughs> Yeah, that was, was that a tough decision? Well, you know, <laughs> a lifetime appointed judge and, and yeah. now on this <laughs> spiritual path. Was that a, how difficult was that? That was tough. It was really tough, but it became a rub because I became so fascinated by shamanic studies and helping people through death and dying. And it's the kind of thing you can't, it's the kind of thing if the Washington Post got a hold of, oh, judges shaking her rattle or deciding cases. <laughs> really, it would have been really terrible. So it was one of those things that I knew that the two could not survive together. Right. <laughs> You're laughing, but can you imagine the headlines? Oh, so. And then I, I, it was, I just decided one day that I was going to look into retirement. I found yes. out I could retire. And it was like, as soon as I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask because the ask everybody in the building, once somebody asks about their retirement numbers, they're supposed to be secret. Everybody knows, right? It's, it's like, yeah, everybody, there's right. no secret. Right. And so right. it's like, once I asked, it was, it was, it was like uh, the universe had gale force winds at my back. I put my house on the market and the gale, in a down market. It sold in three days, full price, just everything lined up. Alberto Vioto had asked that I want to, I'd like to work with you. I'd like to train you. And I said, great. And um, so I had told him, well, I have to sell my house and I'm doing a few things and leaving my job and all that sort of thing. Everything happened so quickly. So I emailed him about three weeks before the closing and, but I hadn't heard back from him. So I had a little mandala sand painting on the earth about me and my little dog. And where am I going to go? I really had nowhere to go. I wasn't sure what it was going next. And so the day of the closing, I closed out my sand painting. 15 minutes later, Alberto calls and says, can you come to Chile for a month and train? Oh, gosh. So that was the beginning. It was the beginning of a journey of two and a half years all over the world. And I was talking with all sorts of spiritual people, uh, shamans and Sufi masters and all sorts of clergy types, you know, and asking about death and grieving. Like, what's the point of this? What's the point? And how are we supposed to do this? And, and how do I go on? And I think a lot of people ask, like, how do I go on 
Yeah. And do I go on? And I think sometimes people get very stuck and say, well, I'm just not going to go on. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm going to make my home into a shrine and I'm going to self-isolate because people make us feel very uncomfortable. So there's no win in grieving, as you know. If you grieve too long, they'll say, oh, she's having trouble. She needs medication. And if you don't grieve long enough, well, she certainly didn't seem to care much. Right? <laughs> there's yeah. no win. So you might as well go on right. a journey. And yeah, you might no, as, so true. Isn't that so true? There's no win. So you might as well go on your own journey of discovery. And so my book is, is tailored toward, it's almost like there's so many books that talk, tell people about, okay, what you need to do next. You need to go out, you need to go to a movie, go on a date, you know, all these things you need to do in the physical realm. My book is almost like a precursor. It's like a spiritual realm before. It's like, how can we move this energy spiritually? How can we sit with ourselves in silence with a candle and a book and a pen and write down things like, who are you judging? Who's judging you? Ah. I judged myself so harshly. I judged, you know, his father and I judged his brother and I judged, you know, this one and I judged myself and I even judged Ben. And my son's name is Ben. I was mad at him too. I wasn't supposed to go off and do that. They went to a party and got drunk and decided they'd all be fools and try heroin. And they just gave him too much. He was a big guy, 6'8", 275 pounds. And so, you know, they just gave him too much. So I was judging him too. And, and to be able to write this down in a ceremonial way and take it to fire with the intention of releasing that judgment. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a 501c3. As a nonprofit, we are reliant on the kind generosity of our donors. If you are inspired by our mission, we ask you to go to healgrief.org backslash donations to help us continue our great work. No gift is too small. It's a way of getting out of our everyday brain, our reptilian brain, and going to our neocortex. And the neocortex is the place of ceremony. It's a place where we change things like the wind blowing a feather instead of the heavy physical world. And so we know this because we go into a church or a temple, oh, you can feel the quiet. You can feel it. The uh, chapel it just has a different energy, a different way. And if there's candles to be lit, people just sort of walk over, you light a candle. It's almost instinctual. And so that's what we're doing. I'm encouraging people to look at these subjects that we're thinking, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to say I'm really disappointed in my sister. My sister wasn't there for me. I'm really angry at the hospital. I'm mad at the doctor. I'm mad at myself, right? That's hard too. And take it to spirit, to God, to what universe, to the collective consciousness, whatever your beliefs are with the intention to release it so that you can open your heart to new things to come in. You're talking about making peace with regrets and guilt. Yes. Yes. And stories. So non-suffering. These are practices that a lot of people will be uh, familiar with non-judgment. Okay. How about non-suffering? We make ourselves yeah. suffering, suffer so much by the stories that we ruminate on over and over and over again. It's so cathartic to write those stories down and actually look at them. There's something about not having them spinning here, but having them on a 
piece of paper that nobody's going to see. You can be, I encourage people to be radically honest because this isn't going to be sitting around for people to see. You're going to take those, rip them up, take them to a candle and burn them with the intention to release it. So you can be really honest. Which leads to um, finding self-compassion. How, how, do you, how do you encourage individuals to do that? You know, it's that process of taking it to spirit, taking it to God, taking it to the universe and asking for these things to be released so that you're not judging yourself so harshly. We're so hard on ourselves. We say meaner things to ourselves than we would say to anybody else. Anytime I'm giving a talk to a large audience, I always poll them. I've been doing this for the last probably 10 years. And I usually poll the audience at some point and I ask, I ask for a show of hands. How many of you have that voice that's in the back of your head? And how many of you, that voice tells you not nice things about you or just constantly, you know, berating you and telling you, you can't, and you, this doesn't, and you won't. And I, at least 90% of the rooms, the hands go up. Yeah. And one lady about, <laughs> about three months ago, I was at, at a place and I they raised her hand and she kept her hand up. And I said, Oh, did you have something to share? And she said, yeah. She said, and my voice sounds like my six-year-old self. And I was like, wow, now that's powerful too. You know, So it's just, it's interesting yeah. how, how we have that connection to really all of the experiences of our lives to this point, you know, and, and who knows uh, um, forward uh, from there as well. Yeah. And, and grief magnifies those voices often. Then it's like, see, I told you you were no good. You wouldn't be a good mother. You wouldn't be a good wife. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't yeah. even good. You couldn't even blah, 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 blah. So we have to take all that to spirit and ask for that to be released. Because there's another concept in my book, and it's sort of in that last little section of the journey. It's called, we call it indigenous alchemy. So what does that mean? Indigenous means innate or native alchemy, transformation, desire for transformation. So we have this innate desire for transformation as humans. I think we're not, we're not wired to be stuck. And in keeping ourselves stuck and down causes a lot of illness, a lot of sickness, mental, physical, emotional. I think we're wired for transformation and we're wired for big things. And so that's what I want to get people to. I want to get them to that place of transformation where they're looking around at their lives and asking themselves even, is this the life I want to live? Or is this the life somebody told me I was supposed to live? That was the way for me. I finally had this epiphany where I said, I what am I doing at 30 years in the second worst traffic in the country and hectic DC and all these people that are, I don't even really share anything with anymore and boxes of discovery up to the ceiling in my office. What am I doing? And so it was transformative for me and I ended up changing everything. You know, transformation, that, that is a theme. You already mentioned different world religions and, and spiritual practices and cultures. Transformation is something that's universal it's it's beyond culture and beyond religion and beyond belief. It really, it's a theme yeah. throughout humanity, really, and has been. And it's interesting how transformation is so often married with ritual. Yeah, I think you have to get to the ritual. Yeah. You have to get to ceremony because it engages a different part of the brain. And when people can get there and be radically honest with themselves and think about answers to questions like non-attachment, what are you attached to? I became very attached to the role of grieving mother. Mm. Very hard to leave that one behind. Uh, widow, widower, 
we become attached to so many roles, mother, father, when we can leave the heaviness of some of these roles behind, we can be much lighter too and freer. And then I always ask people, the one thing many people lose when they're lose somebody or their caretakers, right? We're caretakers, somebody that's anticipatory grief or somebody's a caretaker for a long time or has been a caretaker to someone who passed away. Maybe people who are suffering multiple kinds of losses, 72% of the people in the United States are now suffering. No people who passed from COVID. We've got uptake in opioid deaths. We've got so much going on with the war. So people are grieving loss in so many different ways. And so we want to get people to, to begin to write these things down and look at them and with the idea of releasing, because you're no good to anybody if you're caught up in all of this. And one of the things I love to have, have my clients and everybody do is to write a, on the refrigerator, practice beauty. And I ask them to do one thing every day that's just for them, that is beautiful. Watch a sunset, go to a, a movie, get a flower make something for dinner. One thing that reminds them of beauty. And some people have to really think they can't even remember what, what were those things that brought beauty to me or joy to me long ago and get in, back in touch with that and practice beauty, bring beauty back into their lives because we lose it or we think we don't deserve it. A lot of times when we lose somebody, we believe, okay, it's my fault. So I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to be happy. And that's so much further from the truth because our loved ones on the other side want us to be happy. We think that, or we've been told, or somebody has told us, or I certainly had the idea, the more I suffered, the more I cried, the more that Ben would know how much I loved him. Nothing's further from the truth. They already know. So all this that we've been enculturated and society has placed on us is really a, a fallacy. Those on the other side once, once, want us to transform. They want us to grow. They don't want us to be stuck. They want us to live. They want us to live. And as we live, they begin to be freer on the other side to live their lives. So as we stay stuck in our grief, we're actually keeping them from fully participating on the other side. And this concept of eternal slumber, that's not it, at least not for Ben. He's busy on the other side, right? And so the more I was free, the more I was able to release my grief, he was able to more fully participate on the other side. I finally said I was, it was his birthday or something. And I'm like, oh, Ben, you know, I'm so sad. Come see me. He kind of flew in. He's like, mom, mom, quit being in my doorbell. Uh, you're good. You're good. I'm busy on the other side here. I'm in the Jesus pod right now. Jesus is really cool. And, you know, he's not like the Bible, but he's very cool. And please don't bother me. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. And I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. You know, I want him to be happy. What, who, what mother wouldn't? And whether he's happy here or he's happy there, I'm still happy about that. And I think if we can, if we can touch into that, that they're happy on the other side and there's happiness to be had on the other side. What happens to our own fear of death? I think we kind of lose it. Yeah. Right. I'm sort of excited to see what's there. What's waiting for me. Karen, we're, uh, we're, we're almost, almost out of time. Um, but if we have someone who's listening to this episode and they want to know how to connect with you and your work, um, how might they do that? Um, my website is karenjohnson.net. J-O-H-N-S-O-N. 
then Karen with a K, because there's so many different spellings for Karen too, K-A-R-E-N, <laughs> KarenJohnson.net. And also Amazon, if you click on either my name or Living Grieving, it'll pop up. And Facebook, Karen Johnson Healing on Facebook. And I have a class coming up beginning the end of April, be a five-week class. We're going to go through the book. We're going to go through all the practices and work together in community, which is so beautiful to have beautiful community of grieving people. So lots of things on my website and you get also for free, eight things spirits on the other side, wish you knew. That's That's great. Yeah, I love that. Karen, we want to thank you so much for being a guest here at Let's Talk Death and for sharing the inspiration behind your new path and your work and your book, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you would like to learn more about Heal Grief, visit us at HealGrief.org to find other conversations or to inquire about becoming a guest speaker, visit us at healgrief.org backslash let's talk death. And if you feel inspired to support us, remember, no gift is too small. Visit us at healgrief.org backslash donations, or you can donate right through our homepage. Well, that's it until next time on Let's Talk Death, where we normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief.